Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. This episode is the first in a series you'll hear more about later. Um, This is about grief, grief and loss. And I've been wanting to do this episode series for really since I started the podcast. I think it's really important that we have tools at our disposal, that we have an understanding of grief. And I'm trying to do the most comprehensive outline that I can do. This is, of course, as I discuss in the podcast, not going to be an end-all be-all of every single thing that everyone's ever known about grief. That's, I think, probably an an undertaking that no one can really do. But I do want to have it be pretty complete and comprehensive as far as an outline can go. Just so you have an idea of what we're going to be talking about in future episodes, we're going to be talking about stages of grief, or rather, not stages of grief. We're going to be talking about different theories on grief, developmental stages, not comparing grief, social stigmas and expectations, how to move on and how to heal, and suicidality. We're going to be looking at all different kinds of aspects of grief. So I want to give you that heads up of what we're going to be investigating and researching. I'm talking with a dear friend of mine, Adele. We work together as interns at hospice, and she continues to work with children through various different scenarios in their lives. She's a wealth of information, and I'm so glad to have her with me. So let's start with our first in the long series about grief. I just want to let you know that I'm likely not going to have these in back-to-back episodes, so probably be spread out to make sure that we can facilitate the best content that we can. So please enjoy and don't mind the rather uh, annoying fan in the background. I don't think it takes away from the content. Here we go. So. Let's get into this. Uh, We're going to start this grief episode series that I've been dying to do since the start of this podcast. And I've been a big chicken about it. Why have you been a big chicken? Because I want to get it right. Because grief is something that's near and dear to my heart, obviously. Mm -hmm. Working in hospice is important. And also working with the bereavement team, which we'll define here in a little bit. But... Grief has been a part of my life for my entire life, Mm. and I'm sure we'll get into a lot of those examples during the episode, but it's important for me to have people have some kind of tool or context to put their grief in Yeah. um, so they even know what they're asking when they're hopefully going to seek counseling at some point if they (laughs) need to. Uh, So it's been really important for me to get this, this going, but I'm so... Like, it's so overwhelming because there's so much to talk about with grief. It's just not simple. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. So, thank you so much for doing this with me. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Adele Dietrich, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor and child mental health specialist. And now I finally know how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. And we used to work together mm-hmm. as interns. Yeah, we both worked in hospice, and I've done some like volunteering with Providence Hospital's um, Children's Grief Camp, uh, the Landing in Cedar Woolley, which is a children's play-based grief um, center, and I continue to work with kiddos with grief to this day. Wonderful. You are an amazing resource, and I'm happy to have you with me. I'll do my best. <laughs> don't, under- don't underestimate yourself. You're going to be great. <laughs> All right, so first we just want to start out, again, this is going to be a series. There's no way we can do any kind of grief discussion all in one episode. And I have to preface by saying that this is by no means going to be the end-all, be-all comprehensive grief account. Uh, We're going to try to do our best to cover as much as we can in a really thorough overview, and that's about it. You're going to just have to study on your own if you need more uh, or go to therapy as we talked about. This is great if clinicians want to hear this and get something out of it, but it's really meant more for a layman listener just trying to get an understanding of maybe what they're going through or if they're supporting someone going through something, then maybe this will help out. 
And one thing I'll just drop in here too is most communities have hospice providers and all hospice programs have a bereavement team. Yes. And that's always a good resource to call if you have more questions or you need to be directed to specific counseling in your area. So don't be afraid to call hospice. They always serve clients outside of the hospice. Um, and they're always really kind. <laughs> and like you said, they, they can always give you references. If they're not able to help you, they can... They know the area, and they're going to be able to point you in the right direction. Yep. Great. All right, so let's just start with the natural beginning, right? So yeah. grief and loss. We always hear mm-hmm. those two terms together, yeah. grief and loss. So I broke them apart because, to me, yes, they're the same, but they're different. So I have here, and, and these dish, these definitions are... Dictionary definitions, definitions from the Mayo Clinic, definitions from uh, the ADAC, which is, I don't remember what that stands for, but it's a death and dying certification process that escapes me that maybe I'll add in later. <laughs> um, but so this is just kind of a combination of these definitions. So grief is a natural reaction to a loss, any loss, with a variety of symptoms that we will definitely get into later. And it's universal, it's personal, and each person experiences it uniquely, which we will also get into later, uh, even when two people experience the same uh, person or situational loss. So loss itself is detriment, disadvantage, or deprivation from failure to keep, have, or get something that is lost. It's a very book-sounding definition. Um, <clears throat> but basically loss has... Uh, a number of different states of being deprived or being without something or someone. I like this part where it says the state of being deprived of or being without something that one has had. Yes, absolutely. The fact that it doesn't have to be death. Mm -hmm. You know, very often I think our culture has this habit of just assuming that any kind of grief and loss is only associated with death. And it's not. Oh, yeah. I think for me as a therapist, I, I come back to grief a lot in a lot of different types of situations because there are, there are ideas of loss and grief that we don't take into account, things like expectations, ideas for our future, plans that we had. Um, even I work a lot with folks that have trauma and that expectation that their childhood could have been different or that their parents could have been different or that how their parents should be. And really moving through that is, is a grieving process. Oh man, I just got chills. Mike drop. See, I told you, don't, <laughs> est- don't estimate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It, it doesn't have to be a, <clears throat> a physical death. It can be anything having to do with that. Like you're saying, uh, expectation. Mm-hmm. It can be graduation. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. graduation from high school can be a loss because yeah. you're losing that support system, your friends, everything that's known to you. Yeah. It can be... Losing your physical ability. Maybe mm-hmm. you get in a car accident or you get a disease, especially a life-limiting disease. Yeah. Again, with expectations, but also the physical being of loss. Yeah, the betrayal of the body. Absolutely. Um, loss, uh, I almost said loss of car keys. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that could be an emergency, but probably not a loss. Um, yeah, loss of a pet, loss of an apartment, Yeah. you know, housing shelter food yeah one that i encounter a lot too is this idea of the loss of of culture and homeland with a lot of immigrant clients wow. and a loss of culture as the children become acculturated and loss of sort of family expectations and those shifts are pretty difficult yeah absolutely absolutely so basically grief is the reaction to any of those losses so Ultimately, everyone goes through loss at some point in their life. There's no one that's immune from loss and grief. And it's normal. It should be normalized. Mm -hmm. It should be acceptable to have grief about a loss, any kind of loss. Divorce is a loss. And we'll get into more about that in another segment. But I just want to really reiterate that grief is a normal human reaction. And I think oftentimes we really get stifled by our cultural and social expectations. All right, we also have down here a couple different definitions of grief, such as traumatic grief. Mm -hmm. So we can speak a little bit to traumatic grief. Yeah, traumatic grief um, is a lot of times when a death is unexpected, when it's violent. This can also have to do with um, 
deaths that are not resolved. Mm. Um, there's not a lot of understanding. Uh, death by suicide. Mm -hmm. um, and unexpected illnesses or um, even accidents within a hospital setting or unexpected outcomes. Sure, sure. Uh, I also think about things like natural disasters mm -hmm. where you have a tsunami that kills 100,000 people. You're not only dealing with the loss of an individual, your family member maybe, but a community. Yeah. And it's so much more huge and, and overwhelming and consuming mm -hmm. and traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why it's called traumatic. Absolutely. And then we have complicated grief, which is really defined with the chronic heightened state of mourning. So when we're talking about chronic, we're talking about something that you're going to have a certain period of grief. And again, we'll definitely go into this in more detail later. There's no timeline for grief. Mm -hmm. But there is somewhat of a timeline for how deep that grief is. And, and when you're looking at grief and mourning and that becoming, the symptoms are worse as time goes on rather than lessening. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about complicated grief. And we'll talk later about different models of grief and when someone cannot be outside of their own grieving process and they maintain their state of being in that grieving process without reaching into the other parts of their life. <clears throat> and so it becomes really all-encompassing and sort of um, self-referential, which I think makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. And, and another thing that can complicate your grief may not just be the circumstances of your loss, but it may be that you have, you develop an illness or you get another loss on top of the yeah, loss that you were absolutely. still grieving. So that's going to complicate any grieving process is having multiple losses in a row. History of trauma. Absolutely. Uh, disenfranchised grief. This one, of course, is near and dear to my heart for so many reasons. Uh, but in particular, the first one that comes to my mind is pet loss. Mm -hmm. uh, just finished up the veterinarian suicide episodes. And anything to do with pets or anything outside of the normal human death loss that we think about is really a disenfranchised grief because it's something that's not, basically the, the definition is that it's not socially acceptable to really openly grieve or grieve for more than a day. Yeah about these things so again we'll definitely get into more of disenfranchised grief later but that's the basic definition is that it's something that is not sanctioned by your culture mm -hmm. to be okay to grieve about openly even though again you're gonna do it because it's a human thing yeah we all do it yeah. and lastly for definitions we're gonna touch on bereavement so when you look at the actual definition of bereavement it's just the state of loss when someone has died but what I really want to focus on is the, the aftercare, or like you were mentioning, the hospice associated with being able to manage and counsel that grief after the, the death. Or so, loss. What's that? Or loss, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so bereave, well, bereavement specifically is really more focused on a death rather than anything. But just the state of grieving is a, is a bereaved state. So you may hear that term thrown around, and we want you to know what it is. So my favorite worksheet that I have ever worked with, <laughs> lots of different great references for grief and loss, but my very favorite one that I give out all the time to my hospice clients is how grief manifests. What I love most about this is that it is really a comprehensive look at how grief hides itself as something else. Grief comes across in so many different ways. And I'll just read kind of the title here. Well, first, this is adapted from the Grief Counseling and Grief Therapy book by William Warden, a giant in the grief industry, if you will. Yes. And uh, also Grieving Beyond Gender by Kenneth Doka and Terry Martin. So uh, this <clears throat> top of this really just uh, ex explains the whole how grief manifests. So grief encompasses a broad range of responses. The following is a list of feelings, physical reactions, thoughts, and behaviors that are common, especially in early grief. However, your experiences and reactions will be unique to you. They may be affected by the type of circumstances of the loss, your relationship to the person who died, prior losses, your experiences, as well as many other factors. 
Also, your reactions tend to change day to day as well as over weeks and months. And I just realized one of the, <laughs> this is probably going to be the, the story of this episode, these episodes, is I realized we missed a definition. Anticipatory grief. This, uh, how grief manifests, I also give to people that have anticipatory grief, which is the grief of knowing there's an upcoming loss. Mm -hmm. You haven't had the loss yet, but you know it's coming. This is particularly relevant for people that get a life-limiting illness. But also, like we're just talking about with pets, your veterinarian tells you your dog has cancer. Well, you're anticipating now not only the pain and suffering of the animal, but of the choice of euthanasia, of the actual loss of the pet, and just so many other things. So anticipatory grief is really that pre-loss grief that you know it's coming and you know it's going to hurt and how you deal with that also depends on the person and all the other factors but yeah like getting back to anticipatory grief i think a big part of this this sort of unexpected feelings that come up you know we're going to talk about this list of things that are really common for people to experience so in anticipatory grief people can often start to feel angry at their loved one and they can start to feel exhausted and irritated with the process of the death and um and that's normal you know that's those are all normal bereavement grief feelings but we don't talk about anticipatory grief all of these forms of grief we don't discuss right it's just grief and loss grief and loss and even in this you know i i realized that i was was reading it but i hand this out all the time to people before they have the loss Mm -hmm. because it it is a reaction to grief and you're right, we don't talk about it nearly enough, anticipatory yeah. grief. I think that could probably save a lot of people from complicated grief, is if they were able to express their feelings and kind of go through when there's an opportunity. Yeah. You don't always have that opportunity, but when there is a chance to have time to process your feelings mm-hmm. about a loss before it happens, yeah, that may help you on the other end. Yeah, that's, I encountered that a lot when I was doing a bereavement counseling in hospices people who will have gone through the process of their loved ones dying and were already working on the anticipation. It was like a little bit of letting go every single day. And also you see that a lot with people who, uh, caregivers of folks with dementia, Mm. Mm -hmm. where there's a little loss of that person every day. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the first part of this, again, how grief may manifest is feelings. So I'm just gonna read through these and if you have something to add, by all means jump in. So shock and numbness, pretty relevant. Yeah. Sadness, depression, and apathy. This one, uh, depression is such a tricky word. Yeah. When people are using depression in this context, it's hard because I think some people just automatically assume that depression is the depression that, or some people might call it clinical depression. Mm -hmm. What, What they mean is that persistent day-to-day mental health diagnosis depression and depression can absolutely be situational and it can be time limited so when we're saying depression here it may or may not be a long-standing thing but you can be sad and depressed and not have it turn into a mental health diagnosis absolutely the particular pet peeve of mine (laughs) I think too that the idea of the the term depression, especially in our culture, it's, it's such a subjective experience. So, you know, I never, when people say that they think they're depressed, and if they even if they don't have chronic depression, I like to think of it as this idea of being compressed or oppressed by your life situation, where it's <clears throat> too hard to move, it's too hard to think, um, and that's pretty common to the human experience. Yeah, absolutely. Relief. Relief is one of those feelings that can tend to cause other feelings, like shame. Mm-hmm. Relief may be like that dementia patient that you've had at home for five years and watched them slowly disintegrate into the person that you no longer recognize. And it may be a relief to know that they're not suffering, but then you feel guilty that you feel relief. Absolutely. <clears throat> but it happens. It's a natural... <clears throat> feeling it's a normal human feeling we all have it and just don't all talk about it relief can be a really big part of the acceptance process too because when you can feel relief and you know that your maybe your family member has felt relief or you know your pet they're in a state of relief because they're no longer suffering mm-hmm. um, and maybe even if you're 
morning some expectations, if you can get some relief from the weight and the burden of like replaying those expectations over and over again, I think it's a, it's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. Anxiety, fear, and hysteria. I take, I take a, I don't like that term hysteria. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's an old term. And, uh, yeah. What, what's a better term that you would use, do you think? To describe agitation. what they mean. Agitation. Okay. And I think the agitation is like less has less of a gender connotation and it kind of encompasses that feeling of like being depressed and being anxious at the same time and being kind of confused and that restlessness. Of... Yeah. <clears throat> I like it. Yeah. We should change this. Taking note. <laughs> Anger and irritability. Of course. Absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't be angry if they find out they're going to lose the use of their legs, for mm-hmm. instance. Yeah. Or they're getting divorced. Or they lost a loved one. Who is not going to be angry about that loss? Yeah. That's so normal. Well, I think with irritability, too, it's actually a, a common symptom with a, a, with mental health crises in general. And it's, you know, it's really your body's way of saying something's wrong. You know, you're, you're on edge, you know, you're trying to protect yourself, you're trying to make something happen and you can't. And people can just sort of identify that as being a jerk or being <laughs> short-tempered or that kind of thing. But it can be a symptom that something's wrong. You need some help. Yeah. Guilt and self-reproach. Mm. Again, going back to the whole relief makes you feel guilty sometimes. Feeling guilty that you had to put your loved one in a facility. Mm-hmm. For example or feeling guilty that you couldn't do enough or feeling guilty that you caused something to happen that created a loss survivor's guilt yeah I mean it doesn't talk about that specifically in here but being now, the only one that survives I think a lot of times too guilt about things that have done or have happened in the past that can't be resolved or they can't have a sense of closure now Oh, isn't that frustrating? <laughs> All right. Helplessness and vulnerability. I mean, the whole reason Brene Brown is famous is because she's made vulnerability more accessible to people mm-hmm. and not, you know, allowing people to not feel shamed about feeling vulnerable because so much of American culture is, and especially military culture too, vulnerability is weakness. And we all know that's not true. Yeah. It's actually the opposite, <laughs> but it feels like you're weak when you're vulnerable, when, when people describe vulnerability. So it's good to have it on here to remember that you're going to feel like a raw nerve. Yeah. And any little thing can set you off. And even if you're kind of in touch with your own vulnerability, oftentimes people are not in touch with their <laughs> uh, tolerance for other people's vulnerability. So it can feel really isolating and scary. That's a great point. That is a really great point. And really on any of these is if other people aren't managing their own feelings or symptoms that, yeah, you may react to each other in very odd ways. Loneliness. That yeah. seems pretty obvious. Yeah. And, and again, loneliness can be from any kind of loss, from feeling isolated like you were talking about. Yearning. Hmm. I can see a lot of times when yearning, it's not the first go-to, and I think that's why I like this list, is it, it reminds us of all the ways that grief disguises itself. Yearning for a time lost. Yearning for the past. Yeah, that's a really tender one. <clears throat> I think that a lot of people are, don't anticipate that in their own grief process, that they're going to have nights where they just really long for their, their loved ones. And I know we're going to talk about it later, but that can lead to a lot of those sort of intrusive thoughts of wanting to be with your loved one. Yeah. Uh, low self-esteem. Hmm. This one, I think probably people would just expect that you wouldn't have that if you didn't have it already. But a loss can devastate your sense of self. Absolutely, yeah. And so it makes sense that low self-esteem is on the list. Mood swings. Yeah. <clears throat> I have mood swings anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of seems like an obvious one, but it can help you along with the next one on the list, which is feelings of being crazy. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times someone has told me in a, in a bereavement setting, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Yeah. Because it's 
probably one of the most common symptoms or feel you know feelings of loss is feeling like everything's out of control and you can't keep your head straight and you're all over the place scattered and you just feel like you're losing your mind. <clears throat> I think about that too. It's just this idea of, um, I think, you know, we don't have this model for how grief looks or how grief feels like culturally. So what I see a lot in folks that I work with is that, you know, they feel like they're going crazy because they don't realize that what they're experiencing is absolutely expected. Like, and why totally wouldn't normal. you feel like this? Why wouldn't you feel that way? Like, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a while for them to accept that sometimes. And that's why I love having this list, because it's a reminder that all of these feelings, mm-hmm. you are not the only one feeling them. Yeah. And in fact, we're expecting that you're going to feel most, if not all of these, at some point. And the last one on the list of feelings is the intensity of all feelings. Oh, yeah. So, again, like the raw nerve example, Mm -hmm. everything is heightened. Yeah. Sadness is heightened. Happiness, you know, it's funny they didn't mention, and again, as we go through these things, I'm going to remember other things. Happiness should be on this list. And I say that because as you're grieving, very often I've heard people say, you know, I actually had a really good laugh today and then I felt guilty. Because you, your life will move on. Life will always continue to move forward. We haven't figured out that whole time lapse thing or a wormhole. And so things are going to continue to go on. And of course, there's going to be something eventually that's going to make you laugh, even if for only a moment. Yeah. And people just don't expect that. It's like they think they're going to be sad and, and <laughs> grieving forever. And when it hits them, it's surprising. Oh, yeah. I think people, too, get, like, flashes of really good memories, and they can feel pretty happy, and they, they can have, a, like, this almost, like, positive experience in their grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be, like, just really confusing for people, I think. I mean, I think grief is just very confusing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think, I mean, we'll get into that later, too. I think it really has to do with the fact that we don't have a cultural notion of yeah. grief like some other countries do, and cultures. Do you want to read through the next part of the list? Yeah. All right. Let's see. So I I love this. um, Oh, you just did feelings. We're really going through this. I know. Um, I really liked um, is the physical reactions because I think people sort of take for granted that we experience our feelings and our process in our our actual body. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of times people may be more in tune to their body than their feelings. And so... It's, it's sort of a, when I first learned about this, I was, I was really shocked about it, but it makes a lot of sense. Also, this is a lot of what you see in children, oh, is the more the physical reactions, because they're not explaining or understanding their loss, but they're having this physical experience. So, <clears throat> tiredness and exhaustion, you know. Yeah. Grief is exhausting. When you're feeling feelings, like, most of the time, for much of the day, you're going to be exhausted. Appetite changes either more or less. I mean, sometimes people kind of eat more, they eat sweets or they eat junk. Sometimes people are not making meals the way that they used to because it's hard to make a meal for one when you've lived with somebody for 50 years. Absolutely. Um, And sometimes it's just lack of appetite, lack of desire. So um, headaches and muscle aches, sensitivity to noise, hollowness in the stomach, you know, that sort of feeling of a broken heart, that sort of sinking feeling. Nervous energy. I also like to think of this as restlessness. It's that idea that you you should be doing something or you want to be doing something, <laughs> but you just don't know what that could be. And that's really, um, really uncomfortable, especially if you're alone. It's the first time you've been alone for a long time. Yeah, I've had that happen recently, too, where a spouse is caregiving for their other spouse and they're asleep most of the time. Mm-hmm. And... They said, well, I don't get out of bed until about 8, and then sometimes I'm sitting around in my robe, and I don't get to doing anything, and all of a sudden it's 11. And then, because we have this ingrained nature of you have to be productive all the time, you feel like, I didn't do anything, now I'm I'm a slacker. Now you're adding shame and guilt on top of it. Well, I think, too, and this, kind of going back into, like, the exhaustion, too, is, I mean, a lot of times culturally... You know, there might be one member of the family that's the caretaker, <clears throat> and that might be mom or grandma, and it takes a lot of energy to try to make sure everybody else is okay. <laughs> yes. You 
sense of being short of breath, a heavier, empty feeling, heart pounding, being more susceptible to illness. When you're having this intensity of emotions all the time, it really kills your immune system. So it's easy to get sick. Mm-hmm. And you know, the sense of being short of breath and heart pounding, that ties right back into anxiety and fear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the whole the whole thing about feeling things all the time making you exhausted. If anyone's ever been in any kind of heightened situation at all, they know that they're wiped out afterwards. And somehow we still don't connect the feelings to the physical sensations. So when people are experiencing, like you said, it's, it's something we don't tie together so they don't know why they're so tired. They don't understand why they don't have an appetite. Yeah. And it's like, well, look at what's happening. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense when you realize, hey, knock, knock, it's grief. Mm -hmm. I'm here and I'm messing with you. That's what I always think of when I think of this list is like grief coming to say hello. (laughs) Grief is coming to say hello. You can't not grieve. It will come and talk to you in one way or another. Yes. And the more you try to resist it, the louder it's going to knock. Absolutely. So the next one on the list here is behaviors. So we'll just run through these real quick. Outward expression of emotion. Seems kind of obvious. Searching and calling out. Mm. I think people might not even think about this, but mm. so many people have heard say, yeah, I talk to my old, you know, my deceased partner every night. And it could be two years later. Yeah. yeah. Or having the feeling that they're right around the corner, they're going to walk through the door. That's pretty oh, common. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Sighing. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As you sigh. <laughs> I have a tendency to sigh because I'm a shallow breather. Yeah. I constantly get people asking me, what's wrong? Are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm just breathing. But remembering to breathe. Yeah. Taking deep breaths. That's all connected to that physical reaction is your behaviors is just sighing because you're just exasperated. And sighing can be really self-soothing too. I mean, it's a way to get more oxygen to your body. And when you are able to slow down your breathing, it's a way of undoing anxiety because your body thinks everything's fine. I'm breathing slow. I'm breathing easy. Mm-hmm. That's part of that whole breath exercises, meditation stuff, right? The whole parasympathetic nervous system yeah. activation. It's a bunch of fancy words for getting your body to calm down yes. <laughs> when you need it to. Uh, restlessness, as we've talked about. Restlessness and agitation. Yeah. Just can't sleep. Mind racing. Yeah, or, or pacing. And visiting places or carrying objects that are reminders of the deceased. Mm. This, you know, as this list said, it's generally more early on in grief, but I think this can be seen far into the future, especially now that they're making more cremation jewelry and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And that we're really learning more about the like the grief recovery method where you're not ending a relationship. It's always going to be with you. It just changes in the way that it is. Yeah. Avoiding reminders of the loss is definitely a behavior. Keeping busy, right? That's the old adage. We're going to keep busy, but guess what? That loss isn't going away. Picking up mannerisms of the deceased. This is an interesting one. Uh, It makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, as with most of these (laughs) grief expressions, but Especially if there's a particular role in the family that they play, I can definitely see that happening. Yeah. Uh, exhibiting symptoms of the deceased's illness. Oh. That is also an interesting one. Uh, I think that's probably more subconscious, if I had to guess. Kind of like when you pick up an accent when you're talking to people in a foreign country. So, yeah, I think it's just a natural subconscious thing we do to be closer to someone. Yeah, absolutely. Accident prone. Well, I'm accident prone anyway, so this is double for me. Well, I like the accident prone piece, and I talk about this a lot when I talk about grief with people. And again, it kind of goes to this, there's sort of the physical exhaustion that comes from being emotionally activated, but there's mental exhaustion as well. And if you're dealing with that mental exhaustion, you're going to be distracted. So yeah, you are going to shoulder check the door frame. (laughs) You know, you're going to drop the books. You're going to spill the milk. And I think that that's one of the really significant ways that grief comes knocking for folks that are not as attuned to their body or their emotions. It's like, why I almost, you know, hit a car, you know, when I was driving or... Yeah, mental exhaustion will will get you. (laughs) And you really have to be careful. And I'm just thinking now, you know, it doesn't have to just be older people, but an older person being mentally and physically exhausted, stepping out of the shower. Yeah. 
and slipping. That can be detrimental to you. That, that can be a life-limiting yeah. illness for you or injury. So accident-prone can be a real serious behavior that you have to be careful of. Changes in sexual activities. Now, oftentimes that does not get talked about in grief, sexual activity. But yeah, like, same with appetite. It's, a, it's an urge, it's a desire, and it makes sense that it, you would have different reactions to that either way. More or less. Mm -hmm. And obsessive activity. Again, makes sense. It makes sense if you're trying to keep busy, trying not to think about the grief or loss. Yeah, being obsessive about things and try to keep your mind off of it. Um, oh, so here we're, we're kind of talking, getting into that um, uh, sort of mental reactions toward the end. This is idea of like, difficulty concentrating, difficulty with memory. Again, grieving is very mentally taxing. It can be very disorienting. I mean, a lot of times your routine will change with a death um, or a loss, a significant loss. A sense of unreality, like that adjustment to the new normal is very difficult and coming to terms with the change is very hard. Hard to make decisions. <laughs> yeah, especially if it is a loss of a spouse, for example, and that you always made decisions with them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of aversion to risk and grief too. Mm -hmm. It's not a very, it's a really difficult time to making any kind of risky changes or decisions. Well, I always do recommend that you wait at least a year before you make any big decisions, but sometimes you don't have a choice. Absolutely. So maybe try to get counsel for people that you rely on or trust to help you make those decisions. Um, disorientation, confusion, continually thinking about the loss or, and or reviewing the circumstances of the loss. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, that is a big one. People perseverate about a lot of things. And when you start looking at something where they didn't just pass peacefully into this good night, if it's a death, um, or even if it's a loss, I mean, the Oso slide comes to mind. You didn't have to necessarily be one of the ones that lost a loved one, but seeing friends and neighbors lose their loved ones, even driving by that slide area. Oh yeah. It's such a reminder. And so it makes sense that you have all these different types of reactions. But you can think of things too, <clears throat> for some of the more um, less paid attention to losses, you lose a job, you perseverate on, what did I do? Could I have done that mm -hmm. differently? Move, like, I mean, all of these things, it's really easy to have that kind of mental perseveration. And about, like we talked about before, I think before we started recording, about the social justice of things. You can definitely start perseverating on and ruminating on all different kind of feelings about a loss and being obsessive about it if you feel like it's, it's something that definitely shouldn't have happened, not only because it's an illness or a death, but that job loss or divorce mm -hmm. or anything like that. And finally on this list, we have dreaming about or sensing the deceased's presence. That's an interesting one, too, because uh, some people have different feelings about that. Mm -hmm. They may feel like it's a blessing, and some yeah. people may feel like it's disturbing. Oh, yeah. And again, everyone experiences, you know, griefs and losses in different ways. So there's no right or wrong answer to any of these, but no. it's just a, a common reaction, a normal reaction that people might have. And it's going to have a huge cultural mm -hmm. sort of background, too. I mean, that's pretty normal in some cultures, and in some cultures that would not be acceptable. Right, right. And uh, it was interesting in, in a group the other month, uh, I was listening to some people talk about their experiences and having had either physical manifestations, uh, visions, if you will, or dreams of their loved ones coming to them and, you know, mm -hmm. reassuring them. And it was so much more distressing for the people that had not experienced that. Yeah. Because then it was, well, why haven't they come to me? Why haven't my loved ones come to me? And I really liked the reaction uh, to that question from one of the other members was, maybe you're just not ready. Yeah. And so it was a reassuring, like, even if they don't come to you, it's not that they don't love you. And whether they do or not actually come to you, I don't know. I have no way to prove that. But whether your brain allows you to dream it or they physically come to you in a dream. It was nice to hear the reassurance of the other person to say, 
maybe you're just not in the grieving state to yeah. accept that reality. Absolutely. Or maybe you did dream it, you don't remember, because we dream <laughs> a lot at night. <laughs> so that might be a good reassuring. All right, uh, three more on this how grief may manifest are the last three are spiritual reactions, practical challenges, and social changes. So spiritual reactions, searching for meaning, of course. We do that all the time anyway, especially with the loss. Changes in religious or spiritual behaviors or beliefs. Yeah, being angry at God is huge. Absolutely, that's the last one. Anger at yeah. God and questioning why. Why would you let this happen? Uh, what did I do wrong? What did I deserve to do to have this happen yeah. to me? Or what did they do, you know, what it was, was it? A good person. They were young. Mm -hmm. They were a child. Yeah. Yeah. Or I didn't do anything wrong in my marriage. I don't understand. Um, I did everything right in my job. I don't understand. You know, a lot of times I think it probably is more of a death when you're having those spiritual revelations, but not necessarily. You can have any of those if you became paralyzed after a car accident and can't use your legs. Oh yeah, I think a lot about um, various debilitating in injuries and illnesses. A lot of <clears throat> I've talked to folks that have like traumatic brain injury or mm. had strokes and mm -hmm. you know becoming adjusted to that new normal as part of their self-identity mm -hmm. is pretty big. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, practical challenges are returning to work. <laughs> well, that could be a lot of different things, whether it's a death loss or if it's having to start a new job or maybe it's graduating school and beginning your first job. Yeah. All big challenges. Uh, learning to manage a house. I've heard a lot about that lately, about having to, you know, one spouse, for example, does all the yard work and one spouse yeah. does all the interior work or does the bills. And yeah. then having to find your way and navigate through that system. Well, I, I might be getting ahead in the list too, but like all, with all of that, you know, we talked about like the mental exhaustion, the physical exhaustion, when the house just gets out of order yes. or when people aren't ready to sort through their loved one's belongings. And so you have a house full of belongings mm -hmm. or maybe it's your parents' belongings and mm -hmm. you have to sort through those. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, change in finances. So maybe someone's income was a big part of the whole picture and now you have to figure out not only are you dealing with your grief but you're having to figure out how you're going to refinance everything, how you're going to budget everything. Absolutely. Learning to oh, change in finances and learning to manage finances is what it is. Transportation issues yeah. can be another issue especially if you lost a person and that person drove and you didn't yeah, I actually encountered that a lot um, at hospice, like doing grief groups, um, people learning how to use like the DART bus mm -hmm. and try to manage that because, you know, one woman I worked with, she had like never had a driver's license. Right. And she and her husband had been married for, you know, 50, 60 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all kind of reasons why people don't drive and or can't drive. Mm -hmm. So trying to navigate that is certainly a challenge. And a change in living situation. Yeah. It could be physical living situation. It could be that you're alone in a big empty house. Yeah. One thing that might not be on there that I think is really significant is being the executor of an estate, mm -hmm. it, which is a long, arduous, exhausting, and often thankless process that is rife with like family disagreements and family yes. difficulties. And um, I think a lot of people aren't prepared for what it means to be the executor and how that actually is going to play out. And I think that that can actually really lead to a complicated grief process because you don't get a chance to grieve because you're, you're dealing with all these practical matters immediately. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And in that process, death, I won't say has a tendency to, but can certainly have some negative effects on family dynamics. Yeah. Things absolutely. that you never expected, things that you thought well, this will be no problem. Everyone gets along and all of a sudden someone dies and the worst comes out because people are grieving in their own separate ways and they don't take the time to think about how someone's reaction is right or wrong or not right or wrong. Well, that goes back to that cultural idea of not knowing how to grieve, not mm -hmm. knowing what grief looks like or what's acceptable or not acceptable. And sometimes it's money. Sometimes money changes people, you know, so 
it is something to think about. But yeah, the executorship is a huge, huge responsibility that I think you're right. People don't expect, know what to expect. And last on the practical changes is disposal of the deceased property. Again, yeah. this is a, a very personal uh, yeah. situation that some people want to do it right away. Mm -hmm. Some people have extended family and they all want a piece of clothing and it's easier to disperse that way. And other people take three weeks to put together a box to put one piece of clothing in. Yeah. And that's a year after they've been deceased. Absolutely. And that's okay. You know, some cultures take all their items and burn them immediately. And it's a cleansing. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely no right or wrong way to deal with properties. You just have to be trying to understand how someone's dealing with that and maybe why and how you can help. Yeah. I've heard a lot when people have struggle with that is it'll feel like they're really gone. Right. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one there. Social changes. Um, increased need for the support of close friends. Social withdrawal. It's hard to know how to talk to people when you've lost your loved one. And in a lot of what I've heard, you know, widows often say is they're so closely associated with their partner, they don't necessarily know how to socialize without that partner present. Right. Concerned about acting normal about others. Worries about others acting awkward about the loss, which I think is really common. And not mentioning their name. I don't know if yeah. that's on the list if I jumped ahead, but people often don't want to say the name of the deceased person to the, the grieving person. And then the grieving person feels like, oh, nobody remembers now. You just yeah. forgot them. So there's this crazy dynamic that happens with that. Yeah. Um, need for relationships unrelated to the loss. So... You know, relationships at work or trying to get other types of relationships in the community. Yeah. Um, can be really refreshing because I think after a while when someone's been in the bereavement process, it feels like it's their whole life, that that person's death is the whole life, that that's the most significant part about them and their social interactions. Mm. So how nice it is to talk to the cashier at the grocery store <laughs> about anything else. Yes. Um, marital difficulties. Um, one of the most common results of a death of a child is a divorce. Whether that's a child or a family member, because people grieve so differently and expectations are so differently, it's really common that that marriage is really struggle. I can imagine. And, and all kind of different events leading up to how that child died and blame and guilt and all of those other negative feelings. When sometimes there's differences about whether or not to have more children. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Role changes and role reversals. I think we talked about that a little bit. If you know, a lot of times, if you know, one partner maybe is the 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 accountant for the family, <laughs> and the other partner or partner is the the caregiver or the chef, and sure. figuring out how to feed yourself and <laughs> take care of the bills can be really hard. Yeah, making um, a meal for one is much harder than it sounds. <laughs> yeah, and again, like all of these, they all circle back to that like sort of physical, mental, and emotional fatigue, mm -hmm. which makes all of these even more difficult. Oh, and change, change in social patterns, which we talked about a little bit. It's like how to be a single person after you've been a couple for a long time, or how to be, um, you know, with a lot of baby loss. It's like how mm. am I still a mother? Yeah. How am I a mother? Do I introduce my the baby that I lost along with my other children? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. All crazy different ways that grief hides itself in all the different ways that it seems so obvious when you know what you're looking yeah. for. But if you've never delved into looking into grief or you've never had a grief and experienced these things, yeah. and even if you have... If you're not familiar with how normal this is, it's just so disorienting to have these different kind of reactions we've been talking about and not know that grief is behind it. Yeah. Give yourself a little bit of grace. Give your loved ones a little bit of grace when all this stuff is happening. Yes, absolutely. Well, that is going to do it for the first episode in this series on grief. It's about 49 minutes. Nice. Which is about what I expected. Um, and this is, this is the easy part. <laughs> The other this stuff, is the easy part? Well, the other stuff we're going to get into is, uh, you know, I don't know how fast it'll go, but it's definitely a little more in-depth. So we will see everyone, hear everyone next time. If 
anyone has questions when they're hearing this, you can always email or find us on social media and send those questions in and maybe we can incorporate them into another segment. I'm probably not going to put these in sequential order because it's a heavy subject and I may want to spread them out a little bit. So we should do a Q&A. <laughs> we can do a Q&A. Absolutely. Send questions. Send questions to someDayDeadPC at gmail.com or on Twitter at someDayDeadPC or find us on Facebook. And that is it. Thank you so much, Adele. Thank you. All right, that finishes up the first episode, as you just heard, of our grief and loss series. I'm anticipating it's going to be three or four episodes long, um, just depending on how many questions we get in and when Adele and I can get back together and the time we can have to put in here. As you heard on the episode, this is something I've been wanting to work on for a long time, and I want to make sure that it's as complete as it can be to help everybody out. And again, if you have any questions, please email us or find us on social media, reach out and let me know if you have any questions. Otherwise, it'd be very helpful and we would be very appreciative if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so that other people can find it and perhaps be helped by our grief episodes. And in the meantime, uh, attune to your own grief. Make sure that you're aware of your body, your feelings and take care of yourself. I did say that I was going to start incorporating social work perspectives into the episodes and grief covers so many different perspectives, but let's just focus right now on dignity and worth of a person. We all have each other now, but we never know when we're going to lose that, that person or lose an ability, lose a job, lose a friendship. And so it's important to take each day and cherish them cherish the time that we have here because someday we'll all be dead just so you have an idea of what we're going to be talking about in future episodes we're going to be talking about stages of grief or rather not stages of grief we're going to be talking about different theories on grief, developmental stages, not comparing grief, social stigmas and expectations, how to move on and how to heal, and suicidality. We're going to be looking at all different kinds of aspects of grief, so I want to give you that heads up of what we're going to be investigating and researching.